Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, as we quiet ourselves now and would circle ourselves around your word, the scripture tells us that your word is eternal in the heavens. And I'm holding a copy of it right here in my hand. So Father, we pray that that eternal word would demonstrate to us its eternal truth. And the things declared long ago are equally valuable and important right now, this moment. So we pray that the eternal Holy Spirit will open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to fully embrace and, and to be changed by it. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his glorious church. Amen. Now, this Christmas, as you know, our focus has primarily been placed and properly placed upon Jesus Christ. For he is, he is, as we Americans like to say, and as I sadly have to say, we used to more commonly say, the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason that this season exists. Now, we here at Sun Life Church are specifically focusing upon him, to use a a phrase, as the promise of the ages. Jesus Christ, in one way or another, is the fulfillment of every single promise God has ever made to mankind. Jesus, in Jesus, all that God desires for mankind has actually come. So this short sermon series that we're enjoying identifies for us eight. We only had eight weeks. Eight such promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, so far, we've identified five of them. If I just picked five of you by random, do you think we could get all five of them mentioned? How many of you have your heart in your throat? I won't do that. I'll read them for you. We'll put them right in front of you. You already have them on your note sheet there. Jesus is, we've discovered, the promised devil destroyer. That was a promise given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus is the promised perfect sacrifice. That's when Isaac asked his father, Father, where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice? And and Abraham had stirred in his heart the faith to say, God will provide And Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus is the promised spokesman for God. That was Moses saying, there's coming one. God will raise up a prophet from among you who will declare the truth of God. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, After Moses had already died, there's a postscript added there that says, and obviously this was written some time later, it says, and since the days of Moses, there has not been 
a prophet, arise from among the people like Moses, who did such great and mighty deeds and who spoke to God face to face. We no longer have to say that. We can say we look back 2,000 years and says that promise has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ is that prophet, that spokesman, that face-to-face human being with God that could just declare God's truth in a way that nobody could deny it. And then Jesus is the promised world ruler. That promise hasn't been kept yet. John the, the Apostle saw it as he looked far off into the future. And maybe for us in our day, it's not that so far anymore. But there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will rule over this entire world. Before there's a new heaven and a new earth, he will rule over this old one, this fallen, broken, cursed world in the millennial kingdom. And, and all men will get to see what a loving, wise ruler is like. And then we saw just last week that Jesus is the promised heart healer. This came to Isaiah. Isaiah, who saw there's coming one. He saw so much about that one who was going to come. We, we inter, intertwine much of what Isaiah says in many of our Christmas songs. He will be called these wonderful names. And Isaiah says he will bind up. There's the King James. He will bind up the brokenhearted. What a ministry. Some of you right in this congregation were blessed by that reality just last week when we shared it. So today, I turn your attention, first of all, to the one who delivered promise number six. Before we identify it, we're going to see the one who actually delivered it. And you see, as you watch this little video of John the Baptist, a reenactment. See if you can pick out exactly where the promise is. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chump with unquenchable fire. And there he is. There's the one who gave us the promise we're focusing on today, John the Baptist. You got your sheet right in front of you, don't you? But did you hear him say it? He said, there is coming one. Now that promise didn't hang in the air very long because the fulfillment of that promise was right there on the scene with John. John says this, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. There is coming one after me, and here's the promise. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I phrase it, he will be a life changer. He will completely transform you. If John were here and were looking right at us, he'd say, and I promise you that. I promise you that. You allow yourself to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and he will transform you. Now, the Apostle Paul, as far as we know, was not there on that day. Did not hear what the John the Baptist had to say. But later on, the Apostle Paul would express it this way. That this that John had said was really a cornerstone of the Christian faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If any man be in Christ, that is, if you've formed a, a connection to Christ, you put your faith in Christ, you've received new life by the Holy Spirit because of that faith that you've put in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Basically, the Apostle Paul was testifying that a commitment to this one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire changes everything. Jesus Christ would baptize. The one coming after John would baptize, not in water, but with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's just look at several statements Jesus actually made during his earthly ministry. John chapter 14, 16, we read, I will ask the Father, and he will give another companion to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus had already told his disciples he was going away and had panicked them, had frightened them, had brought them to a point almost of despair, but he said, I will not leave you like orphans in this world. I will ask the Father, he will give you another companion, another person to be with you, to walk with you like I have been. He will be the Spirit of truth. Jesus saw the Holy Spirit as the one who would companion them forever and who would indoctrinate them in the truths of God. And with those truths, some old notions would pass away. The freshness of the truth of Christ would come to them. 
Now look at these two verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, we read the apostles giving a message, a sermon, and it said, for John, excuse me, this is Jesus saying this to them before he goes back to heaven, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now here's Jesus putting those two statements together. He said the Holy Spirit will come to you, the Spirit of truth, but now he's linking back to what John had said, what some of those very disciples had heard on the bank of the Jordan River themselves, and Jesus says, as you know, John baptized with water. And I would imagine most of his disciples, at least a good number of them, had experienced that baptism. They had been there. They had repented under John's preaching. They were looking for the Messiah. They were there, some of them, when John looked up and said, Behold, there he is. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they're, they're familiar with this. For John baptized with water, and I think Jesus could have looked at some of them and said, And, and you were baptized by John in water. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. But now he's referring to a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you will be baptized with him. Notice he doesn't say by him, but with him. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just a few verses later, Jesus says, you will receive power. There's a new dimension, not just companionship, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. He said, you will really have something to talk about. You already have an incredible amount to talk about. Three years of watching the Son of God do ministry watching the Son of God sacrificed on the cross, put in the tomb, rose from the dead, appeared unto you. You have much to talk about. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to do that. Effectively, boldly, courageously. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And Jesus went on to say, basically, in the whole world starting right here at home, and then to the whole world. The Holy Spirit will be the, the one who enables them to carry out what Jesus said. You see, Jesus saw the Holy Spirit as the one who would companion them forever, and he saw him as the one who would enable them to testify boldly and accurately about him, about his person and his purpose. And here's how it worked out. Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 records, Now when the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, there's one number there in that very passage that totals them at about 120. So it's the, the apostles, the one that Jesus had called one by one to be with him and, and preach. And then there was quite a few more. Mary, no doubt, was there. The other women were there, 120 of them all together, who were convinced that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They had seen him. They knew it. There was a story to tell. But Jesus said, wait to tell the story until you get the power to tell it. 
And so when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. I was thinking this week, it doesn't really say a violent wind came from heaven, does it? We always picture, even in the movies, it's like, whoa, here comes the wind just blowing everything. But you know what? It said a sound. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind. A turbulence came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They spilled out of the house. And it says, they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All 120, that's the number. Each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with. Not filled by. Baptized with. Not baptized by. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now picture something with me. Use your imagination here. Can't you just imagine in that moment, based upon what we've heard and what Jesus has said and what we're seeing right there, can't you just imagine the powerful arm of Jesus Christ, the exalted Lord Jesus, reaching down from his throne in heaven and immersing each one of them in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them with. The Holy Spirit. Jesus was the baptizer. The Holy Spirit was the medium in which they were being placed. Placed into the power and the presence of the very Spirit of God. This one who had been just newly released into their midst. And then the Bible tells us they just just literally exploded from that room where they were and they went out into the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem and just began to declare the praises of Jesus Christ. And the church was born. What a moment. And just like Paul would later testify, none of them were ever the same again. Their lives had been changed. And through them, the entire world has been changed. What a promise. There is coming one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with power. What a fulfillment. As we see it right out there before us on the day of Pentecost. It was the only time. It was the only time that Jesus baptized anyone. But we would have to say, he baptized his own with the Holy Spirit and with fire that day. It was never a day to be repeated. Never again would that day be repeated when Jesus baptize those who were his own and would be the core of this brand new identity called the Church of Jesus Christ, when Jesus baptized them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They were a company of believers never to be duplicated. They had been baptized with the Holy Spirit 
and with divine fire from heaven and the church of Jesus Christ had come into being. Oh, there'd be many baptisms after that, but there would never again be a baptism like that. The baptisms those disciples received on the day of Pentecost was as singular an event as was Jesus' death on the cross. It was a once-for-all moment. Now, after that, after that, the Holy Spirit would take over the task of baptizing believers into the body of Christ. Every time somebody professes faith in Jesus Christ, every time somebody yields their heart to Jesus Christ, the very moment you did that, when I did that, when we accepted Jesus, whatever words we were told to say, I ask Jesus into my heart, I give my life to Jesus Christ, I've asked God to forgive me of my sins because of Jesus, whatever the particular words, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only Savior that can redeem us from sin, the Holy Spirit did a work. And he took that brand new life that had been formed and he placed it, he baptized it, he immersed it into the family of God, into the church of Jesus Christ. You were spiritually baptized and made part of a spiritual body. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can perform such a baptism. That's the baptism by the Holy Spirit. And then after that, believers would baptize one another in water, symbolizing that person's death to sin and resurrection to life. We have a baptistry right here beside, behind these, uh, these plants. We believe that when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you're as saved as you're ever going to be because you've been put by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. You can't possibly get out of it. He put you into it. He's God. You'd have to beat him up to get out. And you're not God. You can't do that. He has baptized you into the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. However, that is an invisible action though it should result in visible changes of behavior. But then the New Testament tells us there's a way that you and I who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior can bear witness to our own new life that we've gotten. And that is water baptism. Water baptism is when a person confesses that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They confess that Jesus Christ has, has washed them clean of their sin. His death on the cross has paid for their sin. And therefore, there's a possibility of brand new spiritual life. And they confess that by faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has given them that brand new life. They are children of God. They're born again. And they are saying, I know it. I know it. I want you to see it. And they allow themselves to be lowered beneath the waters of baptism that pictures their old life just being put in the grave. Just like Jesus was put in the grave. And then when they are brought up out of that water, it symbolizes someone who's been washed clean by the, by the blood of Christ and the grace of God. And they have a new life. 
living in newness of life, even as Jesus was resurrected. So they are brought into newness of life. And that becomes a powerful, powerful thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. Believers do that to one another. They baptize one another upon the profession of their faith. And it becomes a, a powerful image, even as John's baptism to repentance was a powerful image. People could see him do it. So this baptism is a baptism under commitment and witness, and people can see it. And if you've never been water baptized in water, my goodness, why not? We have opportunity anytime a person says, I want to do that. So that's what happens. The Holy Spirit baptizes new believers into the body of Christ. Believers baptize one another as a testimony of their participation in the body of Christ. And so, through the faithful ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the faithful ministry of those who over the years have kept in step with him, the promise fulfilled in Jesus has continued to bear fruit. Lives have continued to be transformed. So we say praise God. Praise God for the promise of the life changer. He, Jesus Christ, has changed and set in motion things that have changed the entire world. So here's today's key question I just posed for us and for you. How has Jesus Christ changed your life? Now don't start sweating and say, that sounds like a highly technical question. How has he changed my life? Well, here's the easy first answer. How many of you are no longer heading for hell? Okay, that's a pretty big change, right? That's the main one, isn't it? It's like saying, I'm going to Texas, and somebody says, no, you're not. You're going to Hawaii. Well, my destination has changed. I would prefer Hawaii, as long as it's not still under quarantine, to the heat of the Texas plains. You're no longer going to hell. Jesus Christ has changed our destination. That's a, that's a marvelous transformation. How has Jesus Christ changed your life? That's one way for sure. How has your life been transformed by the ministry of his Holy Spirit? Now, we know that's an ongoing process, isn't it? From the moment we're born until we breathe our last breath, that is, born as a believer, the Spirit of God is working in us and through us. We begin as baby Christians, the Bible tells us, so we, we need to grow. And every, as we grow, we change we change our perspectives, we change our, our uh, ideas, we change all kinds of things as we grow toward maturity. Now that question will no doubt be the focus of our cell group discussion this week. Just to sit around a table with other believers or around a, a room with other believers and, and share the answers we have to this question. I want you to start thinking about it right now. So here's a few categories to think about that can just bless you, I believe, as you give time to it. Number one, think about key truths that have been discovered. Truths that changed you. Now, that's something that really excites me. 
what truths Numa has led us to over these past few years that we've been traveling together. We have experienced some pretty incredible truths. We've discovered things that perhaps we knew vaguely, but now we might say we, we know far more surely. Let me share this with you. These are things that have absolutely been transformational to me over the last four or five years. Check out this digital library of discoveries. I'm going to show them to you. I have them on my iPad, and I refer to them often. Here's the first set. Let's just see if we can read them. Look at that. They're like little books. That's what they are, little e-books, i-books. These are all sermon series that, that we've gone through in the last little bit to get us to where we are now. As I said, I've got them. I could email them to any one of you. You could open them up on your, your iBooks and you can have them and read them. But remember, we started about five or six years ago with a sermon series called Kingdom Living. It was a study in the Sermon on the Mount helped us realize that the law is not an enemy. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, explained what the law really is as he again and again would open it up and clarify it and recognize that the law, you might say, is just the constitution of life in the kingdom of God. And it's the only way to live. It's not legalism, it's the principles of God concerning how we should live, how we should treat one another, how we should come to God, all of these things. And, and we got deep into that, and it was like we were impressed every time Jesus said, now you've heard it said, you've heard it said your whole life. And the people said, well, yeah, that's right. That's he says, but now I'm saying to you, and he added, and took people deeper from the surface of the law, you can't, you should, into the very heart of it that would describe his own heart as the Son of God. So we started there, kingdom living. It was a, a marvelous thing. And then we took a little break, or, or a little jump, I should say, into the Old Testament. We looked at, at Psalm 119. David says, I love your law. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it's all about what David would call the law of God. The law of God gives understanding. The law of God, it doesn't sound anything like uh, you can't go to movies and you can't smoke and you can't drink. It doesn't sound anything like that. It's like the law is the expression of how the Heavenly Father describes life in the family of God. We went through that. And then we got to that one called looking unto Jesus. I raised the question, if we could see Jesus as he really is, what would we see? And we went through the New Testament and discovered at least 12 ministries that Jesus is carrying out in heaven right now. And those are so time-consuming, and those are so valuable that he has no time to be walking with you and me here on the earth. In fact, he told his disciples he didn't even have time and he wouldn't be able to walk with them anymore. But he would send them someone else to walk with them. And so after we went through looking unto Jesus, we then studied what it says in the New Testament, walking with Numa. 
Who is this one that we are to be walking with and keeping in step with? And that just opened up all kinds of understandings of the full-fledged ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, we didn't know it when we started, but then, of course, we got to the one apprehending Abba. Filling your eyes and your hearts with the one that Jesus said to know him is to really know eternal life. To really know what life in the family of God is like because it draws you near to the Father, Abba himself. And how beneficial that was. And then we followed that up with a series on how God wants to be worshipped. What really are the attitudes that should be in our heart as we worship God? And as, we, as I remind myself of those things, I see those attitudes being lived down every single Sunday morning in this church. We want to worship God the way he desires to be worshipped. And then there were some others that contributed changes. There's the uh, mirror image recognizing the Holy Spirit is really trying to make us so like Jesus Christ that when you look in the mirror at home, you see him looking back at you. That's the goal, to become so much like him, his heart, his personality, his perspectives, that you really have become Christ-like. And then others, others. Grace is the key, is the exposition of the book of Ephesians. Spiritual gifting, talking about the incredible gifts that the Holy Spirit would give to each individual. That little map, we started that way, way back in the beginning. It was called Journey to Maturity. It is a study of the book of James. Fueled by faith. What chapter of the Bible do you think that's from? Hebrews 11. Yes, our little faith pump. There he is. You've got to get fueled up every day, and faith will do marvelous things in your life. And then this one I had to put up there. I look back at it from time to time, connecting with Christ. That's a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. I started my ministry in the Gospel of Mark. The first year of Sun Life Community Church, I preached through the Gospel of Mark, connecting with Christ. The first year we were in this building, I preached it again. The Gospel of Mark, connecting with Christ. And then, of course, there, there's others there. Into Christ's heart, that's the Gospel of John. Source for revival, that's Romans. That's Romans. The life of David, well, you know what that is. Church under construction, I could say, like Michelangelo, that's almost my my masterpiece of what is a church all about. We took a whole year going through that one as we were building this building physically and we were meeting in the school. We took a whole year to say, what, what is the church that's going to be inside that church building to be like? How does God construct his body of people? And then experiencing sanctuary, that's a I've read back through that one. In troublous times, where does God have a place of safety for us to just hunker down and feel at peace and joy? And then I just read this one last week again, Proverbs, wise up. You notice how much foolishness there is identified in Proverbs and how much wisdom? Be like this. Don't be like the fool. So we can go through those again and again and again. It's God's word. 
That's about 15 or 20 years of preaching, really. But it's my library. I'd love for it to be your library if you want to just... All of these are at our church website, but not in a booklet form that I could make available to you. So think about the key truths that have changed your lives. Maybe some of those truths have been hidden in some of these studies if you've been with us for a while. Secondly, think about key people. Key people encountered, people who changed you. And let me just share a bit of testimony here. I think, when I think about key people that have changed me, that Christ used to transform my life, I think of my father's father, Joseph Michaels, who thrust me into church ministry when I was only 16 years old. He was a lay pastor taking care of a little country church. And he says, Mark, I'm going to be going on vacation for two weeks, me and my wife, to Minnesota. I need somebody to cover the church service for me for two weeks. That means the whole thing, the whole service. You can do that for me. And he took off. I was 16. I think of my missionary uncle, Uncle George, who came home from Japan unexpectedly during my senior year in high school, and he convinced me absolutely that Wheaton College was the only possible training ground for me. I think of Dr. Vernon Grounds, president of Denver Seminary, whose gentle, kind brilliance forever defined for me the essence of true Christian ministry. Who are the key people who've influenced you over the years and, and maybe that the Lord used to direct you in new ways or into new thoughts? Think about key events you've confronted. Events that were those life-changing ones. Events that changed you and maybe even caught you by surprise, but the event itself uh, became very uh, critical factor. I think of the day, for instance, when my high school guidance counselor told me that he would not encourage me to accept the football scholarship to Yale University. Had been offered to me. And he brought me in his office and he encouraged me not to accept that offer as he didn't feel that there were, he felt there were certain things in my family background, mostly that we were poor, that really wouldn't fit in that environment. And I accepted his word. I think of the day that Linda and I stood on the sidewalk outside Dallas Theological Seminary, where I had been intending to receive my seminary training, and I heard the Lord say to me, almost in an audible voice, Mark, this is not the place. And I had targeted that school for four years. I had told Linda when we first met that I was going to Dallas Theological Seminary. I was going to be a pastor. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. All the little old ladies in my church said I should be a pastor's wife. And she was familiar with the school. But there we were, our first year of marriage, last year of college, standing where we're going to be next year without a thought of it being anywhere else. 
and hearing the Lord say, as I stood right there looking at the school that I had seen the picture of its campus on its, on its, uh, its booklets for so long, and just hearing, knowing, the Lord had said to me, Mark, this is not the place. That was a key event in my life. Think about key decisions that you have pondered. Decisions that changed you. I think of the night as a boy when I considered and pondered the evangelist's invitation to give my life to Jesus Christ. The decision to raise my hand and to walk down that scary aisle. That was a night of decision that is a transforming and transform things. I think of the day I conceived the plan to safely and yet somewhat boldly say hello to Linda Spencer, who was understood to be the most unattainable and yet most desirable co-ed on Wheaton College campus. And I came up with a plan to express myself but not humiliate myself. <laughs> to just simply see her coming across campus, scope it out, and then alter my, my movements across campus to just intersect with her. And when I got to just about four feet away or so, I would just say, hi, Linda, and keep right on going. And did that for as many days as I found her somewhere. She didn't know who I was. I had no second line. But I was, I was establishing my own courage and taking a step, so I thought. Well, that was, a, that was a key decision in my life. Changed my whole life. I think of the day when I pondered whether or not the Spirit was leading me to begin a new kind of simple church built around heartfelt worship and heart-to-heart fellowship. That was a day 25 years ago that, that changed my entire life and to some degree has changed all of ours as this church came into being. So I ask, what were the key decisions that changed you? Where along the line? Because these are all parts, points, where Jesus Christ has intervened by his Holy Spirit, and you can say promises from God have been fulfilled in you. And so ponder them, think about them, let them lead you. Some of those events might have been horrible events, but your life is different on the other side of them than your life was on the front side of them. You'd say, that's an event God worked in. That's a person that God used. That's a decision I made that I had no idea how many ramifications it would bring. You see, life-changing truths, life-changing people, life-changing events, life-changing decisions, just praise God for them all. Because his promise of the ages, Jesus Christ, has, a ha has had a hand in all of them. And so now today's final thought. Our promise of the ages is God's promised life changer. 
by his Holy Spirit, he is continually changing us. Amen? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom of your ways. We thank you for the way that you both make promises and keep them. We thank you that John the Baptist, carrying out such a rough and controversial ministry, John, who had the courage to tell the, the Pharisees and the, the proud religionists of his day that, that God had something different, that a humble heart that can only come from repentance is what is required if they would be ready for the one God would send. And where John got the understanding, except from your Holy Spirit, to even have these words come out of his mouth, and he shall baptize with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. And there came that day when that was dramatically done. Father, we praise you for the day of Pentecost. We praise you for the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. We praise you that you sent the Holy Spirit into this world and he will not leave until the job is done. We thank you that Jesus Christ, by this means, is a changer of lives. I thank you that he's changed mine in so many different ways. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now who is in the midst of something that, that really has your hand upon it. Cause them to yield to it and to trust you. Give us insight as we look back in our lives to see those moments and to realize that you have orchestrated them all. And what we are today is because of things that have just nudged us one way or the other in days gone by. Father, we trust you. We love you. We ask for your continuing marvelous work in this fellowship of believers, in each of our lives individually and in us collectively. For we ask it in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.